Hey everybody, welcome to Animates. This is Paige. And this is Chris. And today we are going to be continuing with uh, Spooky Month 2019 by discussing the 90s classic cartoon, Ah Real Monsters. Ah! Ah! Real Monsters. It's not actually scary, though as a child I disliked the show a lot because it didn't scare me but it is all disgusting yeah i think um i remember like watching the show and not really having an issue with it which is surprising because everything else even remotely scary for children when i was a kid scared the shit out of me um and i didn't normally like gross stuff but this i thought i was like yeah this is kind of this is fine i guess i think ultimately i as i was watching this i was remembering my experiences with Nickelodeon and I think I saw the show a lot more than my memory suggests like would have suggested that I did before actually sitting down and rewatching it because I, like I think for some reason I have this past image of myself who disliked the show but that version of me is inaccurate for reasons that I can't quite point out. So it's just been a fun retrospective. And something I would like to say that I've been thinking about while watching this show is that lately it's been like a meme and a joke that adult cartoons in America seem to go out of their way to make it um, make themselves like visually ugly. That, you know, like, we show it's not for kids, but make it ugly, you know, and a big example people go for is like Big Mouth and stuff. But, um... That's not a new phenomenon in animation, uh, and it's not just in kids' animation, uh, in adult animation. Look at really any cartoon produced for Nickelodeon in the 1990s, and particularly this show. They look fucking disgusting. Like, they look grotesque. The, <laughs> I was reading, it was actually kind of funny, that the intention was to make something that didn't look too skillful. Like well, that. it didn't. It, and I know, right? Like, they certainly hit the mark. I honestly have the most criticism of, like, animation of this show than anything else. Because, like, we've t- we both noticed that their perspective work is bad. And I get that they establish that the monsters can sort of change sizes a little bit. Um, but they never really establish a default size for them. And so it's like sometimes they're really tiny, sometimes they're sort of normal child-sized, and they've never really established what their default size is or don't really pay enough attention to them growing and shrinking that I think that's really a good excuse for the fact that, like, they change sizes constantly, like, within scenes even. So this uh, this show, we, we talked about Rugrats uh, as our first show, so in a way we're kind of coming back around on this crazy merry-go-round. But the studio that made this show was the same studio or and people that made Rugrats. So it's our good friends, Klasky Tsupo. I'm assuming the C is silent. Yeah, and he's Hungarian. So I think that the, like, it's Supo or maybe Chupo or something like that. 
Um, like the we mentioned last time, but just as a reminder, Klasky Supo is uh, named after a wife and husband team of animators. They were married for several decades and had two children together. They're divorced now um, and have been for many years. But um, they both work together with another friend on creating Rugrats and both had creative involvement in that, whereas this one was really just um, Gabor Supo's project with someone named Peter Gaffney. And Arlene Klasky didn't really have creative involvement in it. Yeah, she's simply listed as an executive producer, which producers are sometimes like given i don't want to say like a vanity credit but like they're there but they're not really there sometimes they're really involved and sometimes they're not and i'd be willing to bet that she's listed as an executive producer because this was made at her production company um because it doesn't really seem like nothing i read says that she had like a lot of involvement with this one the show ran uh, starting in 94 so at that point Rugrats would have been two and a half, three years old, thereabouts. So they would have been well established at that point, at least within Nickelodeon. And yeah, and also something we noted last time uh, when we discussed Rugrats was that Gabbard Supo was gone for the latter seasons of Rugrats. They had a hiatus, and when they came back, he was not participating in the project. And I want to say that that time period overlaps with the production of Real Monsters and so that he might have shifted focus. Uh, but I'm not positive. It also he could have also just like been they maybe they got divorced then and he didn't want to do it anymore or something. I'm not sure. The I, I mean, and you can tell right away, like the animation style is incredibly similar to mm-hmm. to the point where I think like Reptar shows up. He does. Yeah. Um, so it's sort of implied that like, ooh, shared world, whatever. But, you know, that's the earliest, uh, Avengers didn't do it first. Uh, <laughs> Nickelodeon did it first. Uh, yeah. The animation reveal. style is substantially similar. And I think that that has a lot to do with the fact that Supo is primarily an, uh, an animator and character designer more so than a writer. Um, he actually was uh, apparent, like I did some reading up on him since this is the second show of his that we're covering. And it's really interesting because he's like a Soviet expat. He moved to like Switzerland in the 70s and that's where he met Klasky. And then he came to America and he was a huge, he was one of the original animators to work on The Simpsons. He's the reason why The Simpsons have yellow skin. You know, he's actually been like, like he was involved in a ton of the sort of the first animation renaissance in the 90s. He was super involved in that. Um, and one of the things that does change is human cat. Like the the style is similar, but a lot of the like the people are completely different. Like Rugrats attempted to have fairly normal human bodies within within you know the limits of that particular style which exaggerated certain things or was more stylistic in other ways um so a lot of the interesting stuff is happening with monsters and not with people um (laughs) 
and a lot of the grotesqueness or weirdness that you could get in scenes of Rugrats is like ratcheted up to 11 here. So a lot of times it, there's actually like a very interesting thing that the show does that I eventually will want to talk about, but it takes bad and it makes it good and makes good bad. So it's a very simple inversion, but it happens like on all levels of the show from basic design and the sets and the characters to the writing and to even like some of the moral stuff that, you know, is sort of mingled very lightly in there. So that will be, and it's really inconsistent too. So it's very interesting, but the show, generally speaking, is not very intensive on the writing aspect. It's very gag humor oriented, which is fine. That's like great. Like we, sh I feel like I should at the very least state here and now that a show does not have to be plot driven to be good. Even though I feel like sometimes my mind drifts in that direction. Um, since we're spoiled nowadays with good writing, or rather good stories. Um, <laughs> but the show is a lot of gags. And for kids, that was great. Like, that's really cool. Um, and it's gross. Do you think it was definitely more oriented towards boys or not? That Because I could go either way, actually. Well, I wouldn't say that it's a show that I saw as explicitly like masculine in nature because there are some some shows that you're like okay this is clearly oriented towards boys i would say in the sense that sort of gross out stuff is always in america sort of targeted more at boys and considered to be more boys domain yes but i wouldn't say it was like super explicitly like alienating for girls in the way that some other shows are yeah cool I would also like to comment like briefly on because this it's considered a horror comedy and it is about monsters. And I think it's interesting when people when scholars of, of horror, um, which is a thing, they talk about the emotional responses elicited by horror. And they're sort of normally classed into three categories, which is terror, horror and revulsion. And that's sort of like that's also sort of a stair step down of which ones they think is like sort of like the most elevated. And this show always goes for revulsion. It pretty much it almost never inspires like actual horror and certainly never terror, which is sort of the anticipatory anxiety that something scary is going to happen. It always goes for the gross out. Yeah, very disgust. As, as a psychologist, I would say that it is very disgust oriented. Um, there's like a level of creepiness to it in some ways, but um, I think it usually dips out of being creepy and just straight into gross because there's no, they don't even pretend to be humanoid or human in a lot of ways. Um, whereas like creepy is all about sort of like that it's sort of normal, but not, this is like completely fantastical and gross and not human. So we're just like, ew, I don't like that. It's like looking at a bug. It's like looking at a gross bug as opposed to like a mannequin that could wake up one day. 
So Halloween has really gotten me thinking about the mannequins. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think um, I do want to also talk about that inversion you talk about where good is bad and bad is good and the limits of that inversion. But I think first we should just take a minute to uh, introduce the basic premise of the show and the characters. Right. So uh, this is primarily like a small ensemble. There's truthfully no main character because each we have, we have three young, so they're, they're like supposed to be kids, but it's hard to tell kind of because they, they don't look remotely human. And, and it's implied that monsters age differently than humans. Yeah, and they can't breathe normal air. There's just like little universe things sprinkled in there from time to time. But, so I would argue that Ickes is the main character. Uh, it, yeah, but like, he he's the main character. Like Tommy is the main character in Rugrats. Like yeah, okay, by yeah, sure by by inches rather than by miles. Yeah, I agree. It's he's sort of the one that we're supposed to relate to to the greatest extent. And he's sort of the one that uh, other characters make it clear we should see him as the hero of the show. But he's not, it's not super focused on him. It's other members of the ensemble get a fair amount of focus as well. Yeah, so our main character is Ickes, who's like just like a generic, he's the most generic too. Uh, He basically is like if the devil had like a rabbit as a child. Yeah, he's got, like, big rabbit ears and a big wide mouth, and he's sort of, like, reddish colored, and I don't know, his body is like a cone of some sort. <laughs> it looks like a dress, but it's not It's like an a inverted dress. cone. <laughs> um, <laughs> Oblina, who is voiced by Christine Cavanaugh, which all of you should recognize as the voice of Chucky from Rugrats. And also Dexter, the first Dexter. She, um, she's, uh, like, a if she's a Tim Burton candy cane. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, she's upside down black and white candy cane with big, huge eyes with big eyelashes and great big red lips. And, you know, that's all I have to say about her, her design. She's arguably the actual scariest monster of the three. Like she's. She's yes. got she's got the talent that neither of the other two really have, in my opinion. Agreed completely. She's most competent, smartest, like whatever. Um, she's got it. And then we've got Crumb, who was the one who grossed me out the most as a kid. I remembered him most. I could remember. I always remembered the guy who like held his eyeballs in his hands. Yeah, he he holds his eyeballs. That's his big deal. And he smells. And he's got lots of body hair. Yes. That and he's like the most crude out of all of them. He if if there's a character that is geared towards boys, it was Crumb. Yes, absolutely. His dad's a mold farmer and you know, he's salt of the earth dude. <laughs> um then there's the Gromble who is an interesting character, Paige, I has has things to say about the Gromble, but the Gromble is a quadrupedal 
monster who is their teacher. So the three of those monsters, they go to school to learn how to scare people. Mm-hmm. And the Grobble is the teacher and the principal. Slash like headmaster, yeah. Yeah, it's it's like a residential school. So it's more like yeah, it's more like a boarding school than it is anything else. It's Monster Hogwarts and he's Monster Dumbledore. <laughs> so he's always threatening abuse against the monsters, but it's not bad because the monsters like torture. Like it's this is one of those inversion things that kind of feels very weird. Because uh, it's also but like yeah, that's the thing is like they're all afraid of him. They're like afraid of being tortured. You know, so some, like, typical torture stuff is clearly still bad. But, like, the worst torture is, like, cute, nice things. It's it's a little bit hard to grasp. Yeah, it and it's it's just sort of all over the place because we'll get to it. So the Grumble is always sort of like the stand-in villain when there's not an external villain available. It, it's weird because the Grobble is like sort of mentor where he actually does teach them stuff and has like for monsters valuable things to 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 give them. And other times he's sort of just mean for means sake. So it's it's kind of he's kind of all over the place. Um, there's the Snorch who was the creepiest to me as a kid because he's a bee. With a human head. No, that's not the Snorch. Oh, that's Zimbo. That, the, that's Zimbo. Like, even though Zimbo is always on the Snorch's heads, they are two different beings. Which that's... is also hard to grasp at first. Yeah, so Zimbo is this bee monster and is voiced by fucking Tim Curry. Doing a great job. Doing just like a weird sort of like maybe a Spanish accent. It's unclear. It's, I think it's supposed to be Spanish. Like, and not... I think it's supposed to be, like, heavy Spanish. Like, never spoken English Spanish accent. Yeah. But, like, from Spain. Like, a Spain Spanish accent. Not, like, a Mexican accent or something. Um, It's actually a really good, like, it's a really good character. It's a really funny and memorable voice because it's Tim Curry. And Tim Curry is fantastic. But not from Barcelona. Because there's no... No, no... no Castilian list. Um, I could do that all night. <laughs> the uh, the Snorch and Zimbo together make up the the like the Punishers. They're the ones to meet out the Grumble's punishments to the students. That that's like their big deal. That's what they are, really. And then they're the torturers in chief. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Simon the Monster Hunter makes a couple appearances later on, I know. Um, He's in the first season twice, and then apparently a bunch more times in the show after the first season. Yeah, so we should be upfront about this right now. We really only watched the first season for reasons that mostly have to do with the fact that there's not plot to kind of carry us through. And we feel like the formula is pretty much replayed over and over. So, being the busy people that we are, we took a sample 
and are extrapolating from that sample like any good scientist would do. Yes, exactly. I consider season one of Our Real Monsters to be a representative sample. Um, so Simon the Monster Hunter is voiced by Jim Belushi. And it's so it's so obvious because Jim Belushi only knows how to voice act Jim Belushi. Well, the funny thing is, is that like I didn't realize it was Jim Belushi. And then I read, oh, it's Jim Belushi. I'm like, oh, fucking duh. Of course. Yeah, that's clearly Jim Belushi. Uh, his voice is very distinctive. Um, also when I was a kid, I remember that show according to Jim being on TV. Oh my Um, God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, he's a, he's a monster hunter attempting to catch one of the monsters to prove that they exist because these monsters go above ground all the time and nobody believes that they're real. (laughs) So again, inconsistent but that's our main cast it's like who we usually pal around with yeah and there are other you know like there are characters that show up sometimes and like other sort of monsters that you come to recognize their design in the background but it's mostly these people that you need to worry about there's a there's typical pretty hot popular girl monster um her name is Horrifica. Horrifica, who is clearly an Angelica clone. Um, there's Olympic Swole Monster. Like, swole as in, like, huge muscles. Yeah, and he's also, like, the uh, uh, classical definition of a narcissist. Like, literally dates girls that he can see his own reflection on them in some way. There's Slime Monster, who's just like a pile of slime that moves around and is gross. Ew. Yeah. So we've got some (laughs) monster stereotype deals that make appearances every now and again. That's our cast. Um, And I would say, like, probably the most interesting part of the show... Uh, would be the character design. I think that that's sort of where they put in the most effort of like was coming up with these different sort of interesting, fantastic, fantastical and grotesque uh, designs for creatures. I think that that more than anything else is really um, it makes the show like really visually distinct. Yeah, most people would not be able to mistake it for something else, which um, is an interesting point because it goes straight to one of the reasons the show looks like it does is because at the time uh, it was noted that a lot of people on other cartoon networks were watching animal cartoons. So essentially the idea goes, well, we want one of those. We've got Rugrats which is involving people and not animals. So let's try and go for the same idea. But instead of just doing another animal show, let's like have these monsters in here instead. Let's do this very distinctive thing, which I think worked very well for Cartoon Network or oh my God, Nickelodeon. Um, Cause Nickelodeon has always had super distinctive shows. And I also like Klasky Supo did so many of those shows 
Um, and when you even look into like the late 90s and early 2000s at Nickelodeon, Nickelodeon had this really visually distinctive style that was a result of the Klasky Supo involvement. So even like the wild thornberries and as told by Ginger and all that kind of stuff was also produced by Klasky Supo. Yeah, Rugrats, Real Monsters, mm-hmm. Thornberries, Rocket Power, as told by Ginger. It's really interesting to see that they are like a pillar of what made Nickelodeon a, a big cartoon superpower in the early 90s, like throughout yeah. the 90s and into Absolutely. the early 2000s. Um, And I think it's interesting because I think as time goes on, those shows, even though they have that visually distinct look and you can think about it and realize that they're made by the same animation studio, I think they become less and less grotesque. And I think that that is related to if you think about that early 90s to mid 90s period, it's true. Everything was animals and everything was gross. You've got Ren and Stimpy and the Angry Beavers and Rocco's Modern Life and Two Stupid Dogs and Cat Dog and all that stuff. Everything is animals and everything is gross. <laughs> and that was just a an aesthetic that was just captivating animation during the early to mid-90s for some reason. And uh, we've since moved co- – well – we, I, I would argue we haven't actually moved away from that totally because we still get shit like Flapjack, um, which does the same thing, only better. Because, like, Flapjack has a lot of gross stuff in it. Sure. I think Cartoon Network sort of held on to the gross stuff a lot more. But then again, I haven't really watched a lot like recent Nickelodeon stuff. But yeah, I think that the gross stuff sort of got like wrapped up into the other stuff a little bit more as like is it's getting more and more subsumed into other things as we move through the 2000s. And I think we're now at a moment where at least on Cartoon Network, like stuff isn't really that gross anymore. Like everything is very soft and cute now. No, they um, they've gone to what I will from now on term as a vaporwave aesthetic for their. <laughs> it, it is. It's totally like. Pastel, the Steven Universe is extremely vaporwave. <laughs> yeah, pastel colors, uh, chiptune music, um, touchy-feely bullshit. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I'm, I'm super into that touchy-feely stuff. So I'm, I'm, Me too. I like it when things are soft and cute. So. <laughs> I'm, making, I'm making that statement ironically, or I guess facetiously. Um, but... Um, the show itself, right, now that we sort of set up our, our show here, is very, it's serialized, wait, that's the right term, right? Yes. Yes. Um, so, episodic is when you don't, it doesn't really matter what order you watch episodes in, serialized is when it does. Yeah, so it's episodic, things are contained within... Each episode is two smaller episodes, just like Rugrats was for a while. The they're you know eleven minutes. Things are wrapped up very nicely at the end. There's a very simple setup, middle conflict resolution. 
Yeah, and I think that um, the the conflicts that they're facing are um, honestly pretty run of the mill. I mean, they're centered around you know, these sort of fantastical surface level premises, like you have to go do a scare or you found a hoard of toenails or, you know, you have to go through the sewers or things like that. But there's still ultimately conflicts about like being afraid, failing, um, you know, not following the rules, learning to deal with wealth, um, learning to deal with friendships with other people. Like they're very... It's funny because everything everything looks super different and they've created this huge like inversion that we were talking about. But ultimately, the plot lines are super familiar to American kids and the moral stories are still like the same moral stories that were being told in, you know, in Rugrats or anything else. This is a good point to explore that inversion a little bit and just set it out here where the show's idea is one that other other stories and shows have used to where you essentially have these creatures for whom their value system sees things that people would consider grotesque as beautiful smelly smells good um dis- like rotten is succulent uh being mean is being kind unpleasantness is pleasant which is something like on the surface it's a very simple premise it's just like oh just take the bad thing and make it good um but it it works for kids i think now that i'm actually thinking about this um that entire idea sort of falls apart to me conceptually but in the show itself its execution is very inconsistent Uh, a good example would be that they don't go all the way and say that being nice is gross so for example they're kind to each other and that isn't the opposite of kindness which would be bad right that like to them, being mean would be the best way to show appreciation. Um, like they'll eat something disgusting, but then they also will, there are certain things that even gross them out. Yeah, I think that to me, like sort of the the, the greatest inconsistency of it is that it's only applied to very, very surface level things. Because obviously, if you are super committed to that concept, it like the world that you're presenting becomes so alien that people can't relate to it anymore. Um, So even though on the surface, they're saying like they eat garbage, they find like flowers and like nice music, horrific and like torturous and things like that. But at the same time, they still have the kind of values like Supporting your friends, working hard, doing well in school, um, you know, being honest, uh, having courage, sticking to it. Like those are all of the values of monster society, which are like exactly the same as the values of modern American society. 
it's interesting to me because psychologically, um, inversions like that, now that I think about it, just since the show gives us a chance to explore, inversions like that don't work when you continue to use the language that is not inverted. So I'll give you, I'll give an example. Wow. That's gro That's super grotesque. I love it. Um, they wouldn't call it grotesque. They would say it's beautiful, right? So the language is coded very specifically. Um, like they do that because the inversion wouldn't make sense to people if they weren't sort of like using language like that. But it's not like all of a sudden they'd be like, ooh, that's bad, and mean it as good. They would say, that's good. And they would be saying it about things we consider bad. So it's in, I don't know, it's interesting to me that um, having thought about this psychologically, it doesn't really make sense to me. Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean with that. It's like, you know, they wouldn't be like, ah, oh, you look simply, you know, disgusting. They would still say that, like, you look ravishing, even though you look disgusting to, like, human beings or whatever. It's like, it's like the cultural relativism thing, basically. It's like, if we were truly performing an ethnography of monster society, we wouldn't expect them to view themselves in the same way that we do, right? <laughs> right, yeah, because they would essentially be using the language that we use to describe badness like we do, but mean it the other way, which is like a really, that's like a really weird ethnocentric approach, actually. Because you're like, they use our language to describe these things and invert it. Whereas it's way, psychologically way more straightforward to just be like, no, they would just say, ooh, that's pretty. Like, that's beautiful. Yeah, now that I think about it, like, why do they do it that way? Because when you very first see it, you're like, oh, I get it. Yeah, like, haha, like, grotesque is good to them. Like horrible and disgusting is good to them. But it's like, well, no, like, you could also just... You could just show us the gross thing. This is a visual medium. <laughs> you could show us the clearly gross thing and have them be like, oh, it's beautiful. And I think we'd get it. Even children would. I think a part of it is because, like, on its face, I I used to understand those inversions and not think about it very much. And I'm like, oh, it totally makes, like, it, it's because the show is from the perspective of the viewer. And so they always put our perspective first. Same way that in a lot of shows, we don't have to deal with translation, right? Everything is just put into English. Sure, so sure. It's like we're always in the pilot seat. And so they're like, oh, well, we'll just, you know, play around with the language as if we were in that situation. Um, but no, it's, it's one of those little... Like, I'm sure somebody could explore inversions like that in all sorts of media and write a freaking thesis about it. That's so funny that we both, like, noticed issues or inconsistencies with that inversion. But we you picked, like, 
basically the way that it's not consistent with like the perspective of the people living in that society. And I noticed that it was only extended to aesthetic sensibilities and not actually to anything deep about their society and their values. Like, I think that's interesting. We came at it from different angles. Well, and, and it's one of those deals where if you actually tried to take it all the way, um, you already said it would be really alien, but I like on top of that, you would have to, you would have to completely use different language to communicate about it. Um, whereas like the superficial subversions are, 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 be- are, they're simpler, right? They're gags. And that's, that's a big part of the show is it's just another gag. The show doesn't really intend for you to think that hard about it. Yeah. Like it's just a gag. Um, like we are not consuming as directed. <laughs> uh, it, another, uh, so a lot of gags are at play here and a lot of them very traditional slapstick comedy, but there is one gag, which isn't so great. Um, and initially the grumble is like a stand in for a villain, but he's not always villainous. Like it's weird. Cause it's like they are a villain, but they're not. Um, but they do exemplify a very particular niche in stories and animation for villains. Yes, definitely. And I would like to say that ultimately I think that the Gromble is actually a pretty interesting character. Um, but, okay, first I noticed that you were referring to the Gromble as they, uh, but in the show I do believe that they often refer to the Gromble as he, so why don't we make a decision on what we think are the best pronouns for the Gromble uh, and then use those moving forward. <laughs> being, being back at Knox has just taught me to use they in general. Sure. So I'm just like, I, I'm not saying that they, they don't identify as male or female, but they works in any situation. That's true. That's so true. I've, I've just been starting to use they because, you know what, even if they're he, they still works. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I didn't know if you were making a statement because it's like the Gromble is not uh, super gender conforming. No, no, no. And so even though the Gromble is referred to as with male pronouns in the show, I didn't know if you're like sort of making a statement by referring to the Gromble as they. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. That's that's just me saying that like it wasn't even intentional. I was just sure. It's just what I said. Well, you're extremely woke, Chris. Or, you know. (laughs) We just, I'm, yeah, <laughs> it wasn't, I wasn't trying to be woke. It was just, it was just being me. Um, All right. But anyway, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with he then. Um, so the Gromble is, um, so he's like a quadruped with also arms. And on each of his four feet, he has like red pumps, red high heels, and he wears a tight belt like cinched in around his waist but he also has a beard thing and he speaks in a very high falsetto and then gets mean and screams at you in the middle of a sentence just like him from the powerpuff girls actually uh chris pointed out and i think that it is one of the first times we've actually come across a gay coded villain in uh in a show we haven't had to deal with that many gay coded villains before even though that is a an extremely common trope. 
Well, and it's one of those things where context really matters because you can bring up him from the Powerpuff Girls. But there were way more villains in that show, for one. The show is oozing with all different sorts of femininity and, and traditional and non-traditional. This show does not have a lot of that context. And so it just stands out a little bit more in a negative way. I, yeah. They're like, ultimately, that isn't played to a huge focus or detriment. It's more like it's there. Um, what I mean yeah, to say is they, say they don't really make fun of it. It's just kind of there. It's like a light coding. As yeah, I would say like in this show, there is sort of the only feminine characters at all are the Gromble and Oblina. And Oblina isn't like aggressively feminine. And the only gender non-conforming character is the Gromble. And everyone else is sort of like very traditionally masculine in a way. And so it's just there's not really any other examples of no, sort of like non-villainous, non-abusive people who are feminine or gender non-conforming, which I think is a big part like Whereas with him, you have all this other stuff to balance out the potentially problematic gay-coded villain. Um, you don't have any of that in Real Monsters. There's nothing to sort of balance it out and be like, no, like, this show isn't homophobic. This show isn't saying that, like, gay people are villains or whatever. Um, so it just, like, I really noticed it. Like, it wasn't something that I remembered about the show from my childhood, and I immediately was like, Oh, God. So uh, I see we have like uh, an extremely effeminate gay man who like wears women's clothing and is also like evil in this show. That's kind of tiresome. <laughs> yeah, it should be noted that uh, a part of me wishes we had, we had picked like a stronger version of this to bring it up first. But it's here. So we're talking about it. This is something that a lot of media ends up doing and not just in cartoons movies stories i don't want to say paintings but this is something that you see a person typically male who shows feminine characteristics as being the bad guy um Honestly, of- I think one of the best examples that pretty much everybody is going to know and they're also going to go, oh, shit, I never even thought about that if they haven't thought about it. A scar from the Lion King. Yeah, he's no, he's he, extremely gay coded. He cocks his head and he draws his finger sensually along the ground or his face. Mm-hmm. Um, he loves musical theater. Uh, Jafar from Aladdin is also gay coded. Um, also, this is often combined with sort of anti-Asian man, like emasculating stereotypes of Asian men. So like Fu Manchu, stuff like that is is sort of gay coded. So this is something that will like, like pop up in the future. Uh, and it's just important to note that this is a place where context is very important. 
because obviously without context, something like Powerpuff Girls would get lumped in here. And we, I do not feel that way about him at all. Yeah, I like definitely him is one of those things that when I would see it in isolation from the Powerpuff Girls, I would be like, oh, geez, I don't know about that. But like actually watching the show, I'm like, okay, I feel like this isn't actually so bad. Like maybe I wouldn't make it in 2019, but I don't feel like it's like hateful in any way, you know, whereas this I'm like, um... I feel like maybe they shouldn't have done this in 1994. Yeah, and it's what, like, I feel with something like the Powerpuff Girls as opposed to this, it's just one possible configuration of traits. And that's okay. Because it's like, fucking gay people can be villains too. <laughs> right? There's that's no true. Re- there's no reason that you can't have a gender non-conforming villainous person. That's really not the message. The message is that if it's the if it's a configuration above and beyond like chance and it occurs frequently and it's one of the only configurations that you see, then it's like, oh, well, there's really another force here. Whereas because there are so many villains and so many different types of of ways to be a girl or a woman in that show that's just another configuration that happens to pop up. Yeah. Yeah. I see. I don't. Yeah. I see where you're coming from. And and I agree with you on that. Whereas with this show, like I was saying before, there are no other different configurations on display. It's just like, there's like one girl who's not even particularly girly. And then it's like non-conforming effeminate, like, villainous and abusive like headmaster and then a bunch of mask people you know so there aren't a bunch of other configurations there that are being shown with lots of different personality types associated with them so it feels a lot more and you know i hate the word uh but problematic <laughs> um with the grumble you do get some really nice moments with the grumble where our main cast does learn stuff and it is actually kind of a mentor relationship. There are very interesting things to say about um, a couple of other demographics in the show. For example, there's a really great episode about uh, elderly people being able to contribute I really like that episode. That was very touching. It was very touching. Basically, an old monster is looked down upon by these children because they have to babysit him and help him home. But they hear a whole bunch of really interesting stories about the life that this monster has had. And at the end of the night, they don't want to leave. And we even learn that this monster was the Grumble's mentor. And we learn how the Grumble got his shoes, which was literally just he scared somebody in a shoe store and accidentally put on the shoes. And then just loved him. And then just like, yeah, just kept him. It felt right. Yeah. How many how many people have, you know, worn a piece of clothing and gone? Yep, that's me. Yeah, it's a thing. (laughs) So there, there's some good stuff, but usually he's threatening to throw them in a fucking trash compactor or subject them to torture 
for little things that kids do, like being late to class or talking in class. You know. Yeah, definitely. I would say that um, there are moments that they actually give the Gromble more depth and he seems pretty interesting. And if I were to watch the remaining three seasons of the show, it would really mostly be because I wanted, wanted to know how they developed the Gromble further. But I would say primarily, at least in the first season, he's like – He's an abusive person who's like constantly screaming at people and threatening them with physical violence and terrifying them all the time. Other things that are interesting that popped up. Number one, there's a scathing rebuke of child based capitalism in the first season, which I thought was super funny because Nickelodeon would have been making money off of show merchandise and the mm-hmm. episode was shitting on that. Yeah, I think they were making fun of Barney, I think is what it was. Yeah, because basically there's a monster that is entertaining children. And so the three monsters go up to try and wreck their day. And we find out that it's not a monster. It's just a person in a suit uh, milking kids for their money. Yeah, and he's just trying to get them to, like, buy all of his different branded merchandise and and that. Like, his whole program is about just getting the kids to buy his branded merchandise. And I'm sure those of you who know me in real life have heard me tell the story about how my mother would not allow us to watch Pokemon as a child because it was just a giant marketing scheme to get her to buy us a bunch of shit. Um, to be fair she was right yeah but pokemon cards were awesome the pokemon video games were (laughs) awesome you missed out and all the pokemon books and t-shirts and halloween costumes and videos and screw that noise i only cared about the video games the cards and the movies (laughs) which is still quite a bit but it was fun anyway it's it, it was very interesting because Nickelodeon basically would have been complicit in that same scheme. Uh, <laughs> but then again, they they kind of shat on that kind of stuff in the Rugrats, too. Yeah, I don't know that. Um, I don't really know that now Disney definitely already had like a serious lock on the child merchandising game um in the 90s but and definitely like there were a few newer programs like something like barney that were really like locking down the child merchandising um but i don't really know that either nickelodeon or cartoon network have been around long enough or really were super into the toy merchandising oh no they yield yet They totally were. I remember seeing those toys in stores. I don't remember there being like Rugrats toys or whatever. Oh, there totally were. Okay. Okay. I'm wrong. (laughs) No. Well, and it might be that they were, they were typically in the boys section of the toy aisle. Yeah, that could be. I mean, my sister liked to go into the boys section a little bit more, but in terms of my toy tastes, I did tend to lean a little bit more traditionally feminine, so pretty, pretty I might princess. not have been going down that direction. My Easy Bake Oven. Easy Bake Ovens are really cool. Do, They're super uh, dope. No, I fucking loved Easy Bake Ovens. 
Made all kinds of little cakes and shit. I also used to play with my sister's dollhouse, but that's a story for another time. (laughs) Um, Gay. (laughs) 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 Yep, early warning sign. Um, yeah, that's it. That's right. You heard it here first, folks. It is in fact true that if your son plays with dolls, he will be gay. <laughs> oh no! But okay. Number one, action figures are <laughs> dolls. Number two, <coughs> something that is very interesting about girl slap girl versus boy playstyle is not the toys they play with, but how they play with them. Oh, okay. Um, so, for example. There's been some work done that uh, suggests that if given like a doll or an action figure, boys and girls can play with them, but boys will typically play and make up stories uh, and they'll make up like adventures. So they'll usually build like a narrative that typically exemplifies like going and doing something. Whereas girls tend to build relationships and characters and interpersonal interactions between them and their environment. Huh. So it's not that they don't play with toys. It's how it's like one of the things maybe how they play with them. And because I, as a kid, I I never gave a shit about like, oh, we're going to make dinner and we're going to talk about things and we're going to tell secrets and I was always just like, no, we're going to like go build a doghouse or we're going to go save this person who, who's been captured. Uh, you know, it was always like telling, telling like a go do something story. So I was Oh like, yeah. See, because like, that's actually like, I grew, it was just me and a sister and there was constant pretend playing with ourselves even more than any of our toys and it was always about like you know there would be sort of some sort of premise like a frequent one was harry potter um but uh it was mostly about relationships like they were it was mostly about like our relationships to each other and like people and things within the fantasy realm that we had constructed yeah yeah so very interesting stuff you 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 can retrospectively look at yourselves audience and see if your experiences matches Um, is there anything that was a nice tangent I enjoyed myself on that tangent yes which you (laughs) notice that a lot of times cartoons implicitly use the boy model what that they're about they're about adventures yeah that there's like a problem to go solve like a thing to do there are relationship conflicts, but a lot of times it's about doing. Yeah, and I would say that probably the shows, like, I would say that shows that use the more girl model usually have female protagonists and are primar- primarily female casts, and that they are uh, usually about people who are a little bit older like you normally you're the characters and shows that cartoons that focus on relationships are uh, in early adolescence or preteens rather than like elementary school aged kids. So if you think about it, um, the proud family and as told by Ginger and um, even even things with a sort of fantastical premise like um, 
Braceface or the Wild Thornberries or things like that. They have, uh, or even Kim Possible, they have adventure elements, but they're very relationship focused. Um, yeah, so this is an interesting framework that I'm sure I will come back to and apply. And it's up for, I suppose, the audience to decide if this is an innate difference or if it's socialized or more than likely, you know, it's probably a combination of both. Um, but I mean, young kids do this. Ooh. Oh, you know, what is a show that focuses on relate primarily on relationship conflicts and has elementary school age children and a male protagonist. Rugrats. Hey, hey Arnold. Oh shit. You're right. Gah! Hey Arnold continues to be like an incredible and groundbreaking program. <laughs> yeah, that show is all about relationships. Ah, uh, what a good show. Uh, but so, anyway, yes, we're back, here to talk about Ah uh, Real Monsters well, today. And, and truthfully, we're sort of entering into the late time here. Is there anything of particular note that should be said about this show that... Mm, we might not say about any other show. Honestly, it, it looks really interesting. I would say um, it's it's character design and its visual appearance are really, really distinct and interesting. But I would say that they're also not more, not more distinct and interesting and unique and captivating than Adventure Time um, or something like that. You know, um, this show, it, it does not want to be taken as seriously as we are currently taking it. It does not want you to think about, the, about it that much. It does not think of itself as being that deep. <laughs> um, it just wants to be, it wants to just be entertaining. Um, and I think for the most part it succeeds at being, you know, a reasonably entertaining show. But I think it really speaks volumes that neither of us felt we needed to watch more than 13 episodes to be prepared to do to spend an episode talking about it i think a good way for me to describe it is that if it were mentioned in conversation i would go yeah i saw that show as a kid and that would kind of be it it exists not as filler but as it's like the lettuce on our cartoon sandwich it's there we remember it, but it's not going to be the thing we really talk about when we talk it, about our childhood cartoon experiences. Yeah, it like it provides texture, but you're not coming to the sandwich for the lettuce. <laughs> you know, it's just a nice little addition, right? You could even eat a sandwich without any lettuce on it and be satisfied. Yeah, so I, it's it's. Will not surprise me that this exists as a memory point, even if it takes a little bit of prompting to remember it. And you'll probably have mildly fond or mildly unfond attitudes towards the show. But, you know, and that's fine. It can exist as the lettuce. The lettuce serves its purpose, it's good, it's not objectionable. We can remember it as it was it was there and it was fine. <laughs> I agree. 
Uh, prior to now, I'd always it's it sort of occupied a space in my life of you remember all real monsters, and I think that's about the appropriate place for it to occupy. Yeah, it's like people sitting on a porch drinking forties and smoking clove cigarettes, and you know they're like, <laughs> "Hey, did you ever see all real monsters?" Yeah. Oh, yeah. The guy held his eyeballs in his hands, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He smelled. Yeah. Yeah, I saw, I've seen that. <laughs> and, and that's and that's it. And that's that's better than a lot of things in this world. It is. Yeah. I mean, like, that's ultimately not that bad of a thing to be, you know? No, like, I don't think anybody's going to be like, oh, it was a horrible show, except for maybe some, like, super conservative parents from the 90s um you know like and people it was distinct enough that like people from the generation that experienced it will probably remember it and so you know like i would say that's a reasonable success so there's our our glowing review of ah real monsters it's rememberable (laughs) it's the most fence sitting i think we've ever done (laughs) Yeah, if, if that's any indication of how we feel. So I I have nothing uh, nothing to say about it other than what has been said. Yeah, definitely. Normally I say, like, go watch this thing, but honestly it's kind of difficult to locate for streaming, and the only place I found it, it's like $9 a season, so I honestly would not blame you if you didn't want to spend $40. <laughs> Like, to if, watch it all like if you want to blast from the past go watch an episode somewhere just like you know it, it's not the worst way you could spend 20 minutes yeah definitely yeah i think that's about right um and that's all i've really got that is our show for this evening uh page tell them where they can find us uh, as per usual, you can find us on Twitter at Animates or on our Facebook fan page, Animates Podcast. If you have burning questions, theories, comments, concerns, or you just want to chat with us, you can email us. It's animates at gmail.com with the numeral 8 instead of the letters A-T. And as always, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It makes the algorithm work its magic and helps other people find the show. Um, As always, thank you so much for listening. I've been Paige. And I've been Chris. And this has been Animates.